please be advised. The Kind of Movie Critics podcast may contain spoilers. This includes most of the movies you're going to want to see. This shit also contains profanity, so there's that. Enjoy. Yo, yo, this Treasy. Hey, hey, this is Corey. It's Martin the Mailman. It's your man Chandler. And I'm Young Leezy. And we're the Kind of Movie Critics, uh, full court press. I, I, I say that because we got five people in the court, and I didn't know how to say five people in the court for like a basketball game is it, do you say fully staffed in that like we're fully staffed on the court is that what you say nobody here is a sports um, person okay no i'm not we a were talking fan. boxing lizzie at least could jump in but man listen. yeah i sure could but that's not a team sport yeah <laughs> i damn near yell first down when people throw layups so five people on the court is cinco corto isn't that right cinco corto i yes. believe that's the official latin designation <laughs> Man, you know what? Speaking of like, uh, just going back to you, Lizzie, saying that like box is not a team sport. What if somebody came out with tag team boxing? That would that would kind of be ill, wouldn't it? I don't. She's making a face like, nah. I That's just Tekken, bro. <laughs> tag <laughs> team like boxing would be kind of fly. They do it with wrestling. Wrestling. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. My bad. Oh, uh, kind of <laughs> movie critics, man. How y'all been feeling? Feeling good. Yeah. Feeling really good. It's my birthday today. So oh, that's right. Happy birthday, Corey. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. you, you we celebrated quarantine yesterday. Quarantine, sat on yeah. Corey's hot ass porch and got drunk for eight hours. It was, it was, it was pretty nice. Cool. It was magical. Now, now Corey, when heart. my grandparents turned 65, they had a hard time getting their AARP card in the mail. Did you have wow. an issue with that? Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I forget. You know, the, you. <laughs> Yeah, the image is real bad at this point. <laughs> yeah. I just think about when I was your age, I made those exact same jokes to friends. <laughs> and now I'm like, wow, I'm on the receiving end of them. Yeah, so, crazy. you know, <laughs> you know, at this point, man, Social Security will be here next week. So I'm good. You know what's wild, though? I will say you haven't aged since you were Chandler's age. So that's actually kind of a oh. cool thing. Fuck yeah. You just look super old would... then. Now it's like your body's <laughs> caught up to your age. Man, you know, white people, we age, we age like avocados. So, yeah. you know. Yep. That's how it goes. Um, And I, I thought it was interesting that you put in the group chat that uh, you share a birthday with Stanley Kubrick, uh, Sandra yeah. Bullock, uh, Kate Beckinsale, and Jason yeah. Statham, who you kind of look yeah. like a little bit if you were to shave and Mick but... And Mick Jagger. And Mick so. Jagger. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. So you got, you and got I think it's like a little epic birthday. I do because um, Stanley Kubrick is my favorite director for a long time, and uh, Underworld Sandra, is your favorite movie. My favorite movie of his? No, oh. I was making a joke. I said Underworld was your favorite movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then That's you know, funny. a lot of people don't know, but I've been a I've been in love with Sandra Bullock for for a long time, and she would she would get a lot of a lot of the business. So That's nice. Oh wow! How yeah. do you feel about the film while you were sleeping? Corey, Man, listen, she that was in her prime, so it's I'm a terrible I'm okay film. It's, it's an a terrible, horrible film. It's movie. a terrible film. But mm, she looks, I would say she, that Love Potion Number Nine is probably way worse. Really? Oh wow! I've no, not Speed Two. Speed Two is probably her worst film. No, no you haven't seen Love Potion Number Nine. Yeah. Is that the one that she did before Speed? No, Speed Two. No, I'm talking. No, I'm talking about Love Potion oh, Number Nine. Oh, I'm there's sorry. a there's a film that she did before Speed that would probably go down as her worst film. Yeah, it's it's Love Potion. I feel nine. like she did Demolition Man before Speed. Um, no, I think technically that came afterwards. I, I'm not. I, I think she filmed both of them around the same time. I would have to consult IMDb for that, but apparently they were both around the same time. Well, you're in front I don't of remember which one dropped can, first, but you can consult it right now if you'd like. <laughs> 
IMDb. I would have to I'm, allege that the Sandra Bullock film known as The Blind Side set culture back about 15 years in terms of race relations. <laughs> so. Set culture back. Yeah. So, yeah, man, happy birthday, Corey, man. Thank uh, you. Glad, appreciate that. Happy that birthday, sharing, Corey. <laughs> that you're sharing this time with the listeners. I am. Um, I am. Um, I, I don't really have much for news other than, um, you know, yesterday, John Saxon and Regis Philbin both passed away. Which, uh, you know, it's always sad when people pass away. Um, I didn't really know too much about either one of their histories, but uh, John Saxon was in Enter the Dragon. That's pretty much like the bulk of my knowledge of him. But I know he was considered a pretty dope actor. So, uh, rest. I think somebody somebody died from Gone with the Wind today too. Like like the last surviving member who like worked on Gone with the Wind or something like that. Yeah, and she was one hundred and four. Yeah, 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 that's wild. Do you guys realize that Gone with the Wind and uh, The Wizard of Oz have the same director, and they were the two biggest films of 1939, and Gone with the Wind is still adjusted for inflation, the number one box office grosser of all time? Oh, wow. No, I did not know, know that. that. Yeah, I did not know get that. his name here. I'm uh, doing some Wikipedia business. Does does James Did James Cameron get that memo? Because... Well, adjusted for inflation. That's the, the ticket. Typically, oh, when sure. we talk box office numbers, we don't adjust for inflation. But right. if you do, uh, nothing even comes close to Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind is the, the biggest deal ever. Uh, Victor Fleming is his name. Uh, and I think that the legacy of having directed Gone with the Wind and The Wizard of Oz speaks for itself. And it's absolutely insane that they both came out the same year. I think the only person to match that sort of insanity would be like Spielberg, who did um, Schindler's List and Jurassic Park in the same year. Oh, I didn't Did that was Wow. And that was back too when like directors got no like clout like at all. No, like, it was nobody, not nobody, no, nobody cared about the director back then. Exactly. Yeah. It was not yeah. like an artisanal thing then. It it was viewed as just like a job, but obviously, you know, it was a very important one. Agreed, man. Um, anything special you guys been watching since last time we talked? No. Nah, Nothing special. I've been watching Mr. In Between and Perry Mason. That's hey. I I'm I'm still on that, and y'all need to watch Perry Mason. So, so that's what Mr. I've heard. You're Mr. In Between Perry Mason. Got it. Yep. I um I binged a Netflix series <laughs> called Love on the Spectrum. And um everyone <laughs> that's been bored has resorted to like watching Indian matchmaking. So if you've seen dating around in Indian matchmaking, Love on the Spectrum is kind of like a mashup of those two formats, except mm. that all of the uh daters are have autism. Oh, okay. That's which sounds twist. like yeah, which sounds like, you know, it could be awkward to watch. And at times yeah. it can be, but um people with autism are incredibly honest. Um but oh, you know, it it's but they still make jokes, you know, depending on how high functioning they are and right. they're just out here looking for love and the show is very very sweet and the people on the show are adorable and unlike a dating around or Indian matchmaking like I'm rooting for all of them to find love. Nice. So, um, you know, it it's you know, it's it's troublesome for them to to go through the dating world and to navigate that as nice. um, people with disabilities. Also, it's set in Australia, so their accents are really cute. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's a it's like really endearing to watch, and you just kind of fall in love with several of them, and you're like, yes, I would love for you to have someone in your life. You're so nice. But right. You have to see there. how it goes. I wouldn't be surprised if it comes back. What What was the? You remember on Interstellar? Y'all remember the machine that was like a. Uh... 
It was like SARS. What was it called? Tars. Tars. Tars yeah. There were two of like them. Little, little brick. Little tall. Yeah. yeah. Little cute, cute boy. When he was, uh, when it was, there when it was talking about. When uh when Tars was talking about honesty and like oh who's your honesty like, setting <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's all I thought about when you said you no know, their honesty setting is set like very high yeah. um, have any of you guys seen the 1998 film directed by Nora Ephron titled You've Got Mail yes you know, I never yeah. saw it but I, I remember it with Tom um, Hanks right go to the that mattresses <laughs> yeah that's what I've been watching and I've watched it three times uh, I love that movie. <laughs> Listen, so I've been blank check the blank check podcast, which some of you guys are on. Well, we've yeah. plugged it on here before. It's an incredible podcast. They're doing a Nora oh. Ephron miniseries, and I've been watching along with some of them. And when I got to you, got mail, dude. By the end of this movie, I'm not afraid to admit I wept like a like a baby, like an infant. Mm. I mean, I was just I cried at that movie too. N- Nora Ephron, dude, it did something so special to me. I I don't you know, and I loved like. I loved when Harry met Sally. Like I like rom coms in general, but You've Got Mail is easily my favorite. Um, that movie, it just it touches me, and I think it will touch a lot of people. If you haven't seen it before, uh, You've Got Mail is maybe uh, the greatest film ever made. I don't know. Oh wow! Well, you know what's funny? I what I liked about eighties and nine early nineties romantic comedies is that they used regular people like mm-hmm. Billy Crystal and Tom Hanks versus now it's Jason Sudeikis and. You know, these he's kind regular. of, you know. Yeah, Jason Sudeikis is regular. Like, yeah. And Will, and like Will Ferrell. And, no, they're not regular. Yeah, another they're regular super guy. regular. <laughs> they're, they're over the top comedic people. And so like, were Crystal and Hanks, bro. The, yeah. so right, I'll they. give you Crystal. I'll give you Crystal, but I won't give you Hanks. Hanks is no. a, like a regular dude. Nah. You so. the verbs, man. He definitely yeah. plays it for laughs in these movies, but he kind of he kind of leans more towards like subtle com- comedy. Than there you go. I, I, that's why I feel like when you put like Sudeikis and Will Ferrell, they're they're trying to make you laugh, whereas like Crystal and Hanks <laughs> just have. No. I know, but I know what you mean. I, I trust me. <laughs> go I back get what and watch saying. it. They're yeah. hamming it up just as much as Sudeikis and Will Ferrell do. Exactly yeah. as much. Maybe, I mean, in that it, movie, that's the tamest I've ever seen Dave Chappelle. Is in You've Got Maybe it just feels yeah, for forced. Real. Maybe it feels excessively forced. But I get what you're saying because, like, Billy Crystal is a comedian. He's not going to be in a movie where he's not funny. But, yeah. uh, but like, it feels so much forced when it when it comes to some of the the, the 2000s and lately. Uh, I see what you're comedy. saying. Yeah, you know yeah. what else stuck out to me was. Um, I've watched three of these now with Meg Ryan, and when I grew up, I had no Meg Ryan on my radar. I just Meg had Robin, no clue Meg who Ryan she was. Popping, bro. And I go yeah. back, and I'm like, oh my god, this is one of the most magnetic movie stars I've ever seen on screen. Like yeah. she is so electric, and I yeah. feel like I've fallen in love with this woman whose star has uh, risen and fallen. Like while I was a toddler, you know. Okay, so since you love Meg Ryan, I have homework for you, Chandler. Can you can you commit to it? Okay. So um, when I listened to you guys' podcast, you were like, oh, there's two Tom Hanks Meg Ryans. Remember, I pointed out to you in the group chat. There's a third one. There's three. Joe- there's Joe versus. The volcano is right. the third one. So I want you to watch Joe versus the volcano. Okay. Um, I want you to watch Prelude to a Kiss. That's her and Alec Baldwin. Mm, oh, all right. I'm down. And I want you to watch Inner Space, which is her and Dennis Quaid, like when they kind of like fell in love. Oh, that's I would love to see that. I would love to see that. <laughs> it's her Dennis Quaid <laughs> and Martin Short. Like Martin. <laughs> 
Pardon is quite a Martin Short or in a movie. It's like a sci-fi movie. Oh, God. Please watch. It's ridiculous, but I love it. I I would like for you to watch those and report back to us. All right. Hey, Martin, what have you been watching? Um, I've been watching. I had never seen the end of uh the last ep- the last season of Black Jesus, and I really <laughs> like the first two seasons. Um, but watching the last season is not as good, but it, it is kind of sad because uh, obviously, like Charlie Murphy isn't in there because he had passed away, and uh, I guess because Charlie Murphy passed away, they gave John Witherspoon a lot more to do, so mm. he's really funny in this season, and you just don't realize like his style of like physical comedy is like p- pretty much completely dead now. Yeah. And it is kind of sad. Like knowing this is probably one of the last things he did, but he's like really funny in, in that season, even though the season is bad. Damn. So uh, just watching that is like, you're laughing and you're kind of sad at the same time. Right. And I was yeah. just watching that to get ready. I guess when the boondocks is coming back and just trying to kill time. So oh, wasn't there a huge gap? Back? Well, I don't know when it's coming back now, but yeah. On yeah, what state it's coming back, back to um oh what was the original station? Com- not Comedy Central. Um I think it's coming to HBO Max or something like that. Whoa. Oh, for real. But they haven't com- I don't know if they how much they did of it because uh John Witherspoon was supposed to do it, but of course he passed away. So his right. son tried out for it, but I guess they gave his son the runaround. <laughs> so there was this whole like uh like big controversy because they kind of did him dirty or whatever because his son could really do his dad's voice really well so um that's that's kind of why i was looking at black jesus wasn't it like a four-year gap or something between season i'm two sure because it's, it's aaron magruder like he he has yeah. like two year three year gaps between all his seasons I, you know but i, I like the way i like that about him man he kind of moves on his own clock i think <laughs> kind of like us yeah facts yeah (laughs) Yeah. we're the Aaron Magruder podcast for sure (laughs) that's dope man Black Jesus I always thought was a very I I, I always thought the concept was wildly original and uh just a very well written show you know um um it's it's like mindless senseless humor but they always find ways to dig nuggets into into the comedy or into the messaging yeah you could always trace it back to like even though he's smoking weed and like selling drugs like you can always trace it back to like some lesson from the bible or like some type of like right. if you grew up in church you could kind of appreciate it a little bit more than most people yeah i think aaron magruder man he's definitely he's definitely one of the geniuses of our generation as far as i'm concerned um very genius mind man that's dope though um i know nobody asked me but i'm gonna tell you guys anyway uh, uh i've been watching yellowstone um, you know, that's my <laughs> shit. <laughs> nobody, nobody else watches it in this world but me. I promise you, they're performing for me on this show. You're but, keeping uh, it alive, just you by yourself. I, and you know what? I'll take that. I'll take that. I want to watch it, but I just, I gotta acquire it at this point. There's yeah, just like no other way. It. Yeah. You make it. What's you it on? Figures, man. You can get it. It's Paramount. on uh, pa- Paramount Network. Oh. That used to be Spike, yeah. right? It used to be Spike. Have you guys heard of uh, a show called Reprisal on Hulu? No. Yeah, I've heard of that. It's yo, it's pretty decent, man. My homeboy, shout out to BJ, man. He put me onto it, and um, and he had me watch. It's like a, it's almost like a, it's retro, like the style and the presentation of it is very retro. Like the way people dress is very like uh, almost like what's what's that, uh, musical Grease, right? It's almost like Grease yeah. and presentation. Um, but it's modern 
and uh very stylistic man basically about this lady who uh i guess not really a motorcycle gang but like a gang he was a he, she was the sister of the guy who headed a gang and they attempted to kill her and they didn't kill her and basically she's coming back for revenge uh abigail spencer she's the the main the uh the the main actress it's actually pretty good man i'm i'm like it's only eight episodes and i'm on episode seven and uh it's pretty decent the first episode didn't really keep me um but after the after the first episode it it, it kept me going so it's a very style stylized show and, and and for that Corey, i think you would appreciate it uh but basically it's a you know it's a revenge thriller in a cinematic format i mean in television format so that and then of course i told y'all earlier i watched snowpiercer the tv show and uh <laughs> i ain't gonna get into how trash i think that is so far but um, i'm gonna stick in it for david just because we did the uh hamilton episode which we missed you for martin oh yeah for, yeah we missed you for the Hamilton I mean, episode i mean i always praise david for blind spotting i think that's usually the number one thing i try to get people to watch yeah yeah, we mentioned that because I know I watched it because of you, and I think Lizzie said she watched it because of you too. Blind spotting. So. Yep. 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 Bet man. Well, now that's in uh with that in eggshell, y'all want to get into American Dreamer, Derek Bort, Virginia's own. <laughs> yeah. Lego. Corey, you want to read the synopsis? A down on his luck hail driver who makes extra cash chauffeuring a low level drug dealer around town finds himself in a serious financial bind and decides to kidnap the dealer's child. How, how long do y'all think it took him to come up with the name Hale instead of like Lyft or Uber? Uh, Probably not the long. Mo- <laughs> the moment he found out that they would sue the shit out of him. <laughs> the movie. But you know what? I want to say on that note, a lot of times when there's like a fake-ass made-up app in a movie, mm-hmm. the, U- the UI, the user interface on the phone looks terrible. And I thought this film actually did a really good job of making it look like a real app that people would use. They, really, they did good, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, shit, good for them, man. Um, you guys act uh, like that's like a stupid compliment to give the movie or something. I feel like that's of the utmost <laughs> importance. I mean, no, I get what you're saying. I mean, you're right, I mean, but I just don't have shit yeah, to say. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I've, I've definitely seen some bad interfaces in my lifetime, that's for yeah. sure. Well, like and this one looked like it was a, and shit. This one looked like, to me, like it was really actually on the phone when they photographed it, which is right. a lot of times you can tell it's been comped in after the fact, and that look just looks worse. Right. Well, you know, now, especially like if you go back and watch the, the, the Tyler Perry movie, they were killing uh, um, uh, a fall from grace. Basically, people just take like screenshots, you know, like they'll make a picture and then, you know, <laughs> you're like swiping past the picture or, uh, you know, if you see fall from grace, you'll see what I'm talking about. But yeah, I you, you know what? I didn't think about it, but you're kind of right. That is that is sort of somewhat of a big deal. A good interview. Were you guys um distracted like in the first few minutes of this movie? Seeing all <laughs> yes. the uh the Norfolk all the like places and being like, yeah. I know what that is, I know what that <laughs> is. Seeing people I That's know and all of yeah. Yeah. And well, then you'll be like, those two places aren't next to each other. Like that yeah. that park that's not the airport parking lot. <laughs> like, yeah. Can yeah. I funny yeah. about that is like the the first person who gets in the cab is one of the co-hosts of another uh podcast that me and Treezy produce on this network called and then we had sex. So yeah. he his first passenger he picks up is um Taylor. Taylor. Yeah. And then Shout out to Taylor. <laughs> she rides from 
the corner where commune is to the main, but it like takes them around the opposite direction when you look at the footage. Well, like no one would go they that went way down to get Bush to the Street. main. They went he down comes Bush down Street. Bush Street instead of yeah. coming straight down yeah. Granby, and I'm like, okay, this is <laughs> right. strange. Well, he's right. going the direction down Bush Street, so I'm like, yeah. all right. And the same thing, like he picks someone up at the Federal Building, and then like turns the opposite direction. He picks someone up at um not at the Federal Building at a uh, at Tide Stadium at a uh, Harbor Park, and uh-huh. but he like is on the same side of the street, but then you see him passing Waterside going the same direction. And I'm like, bro, that's, yeah. you're not going to pass Waterside going east right. on that street. Yeah. So, I yeah, feel no. like we're getting very hyper-local, but I also, in the first like three minutes, like right after he picks up that cat, that passenger, um, they drive like right by the building that I work at, and then mm-hmm. uh, later in the movie, they drive by an intersection that's like two blocks from my house, and the homeless guy that sleeps on that intersection is there in the movie, and he's also there every night. And so I was like, "Wow!" And then I was also like, "Oh, that's like so sad." Like, that's crazy. I bet you didn't pay his ass. <laughs> no, he definitely yeah. didn't get compensated. <laughs> so I guess I we we were experiencing what like people from New York and L.A. probably experience. Yeah, they're like, "Yo, the the," because you're right. Like they drove almost to my house. And then the next scene, they're like at, you know, Park Place. And I'm like, that's 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 a that's a U-turn. <laughs> it's the opposite. But, you know, well, that's it's funny, not... too, because I thought it was funny that sh- who would catch a cab from Commune to the main? If you don't walk your ass yeah. for five minutes down the damn street. <laughs> well, even, but, even crazier, they actually have a service that does that called the Fred free ride every day for anybody who's yeah. in downtown Norfolk. There's like a free taxi service that takes you anywhere in downtown Norfolk. You just call a number. They'll come pick you up like a golf cart, like a six person golf cart. And they'll just take you wherever in downtown. So that was my first thing. I was like, this is pertinent information for me and Corey when we're trying to like walk from his Corey house up should, to get tacos at Sanctuary. So thank Corey you for that. Corey should know about the Fred. Yeah, you should know about the Fred. No, I know about the Fred. Yeah, free ride every day. You, you, you would want to take the Fred when we were only going Stop three lying. blocks. Stop and we'd lying. be like, come on, Tracy. Stop lying. <laughs> I only take the Fred. I only took it when we were going across Brambleton. Or feels I right. don't think, or feels but, right. you know, Norfolk, Virginia is not New York and it's not L.A. Or it's not Chicago and it's not Atlanta. So I feel like playing with the geography is totally fine. Like it works in the continuity of the film. So it didn't right. bother me, but it was a fun added bit to the experience, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I mean, they do it. They do it in those cities, too. But, you know, since we don't live there, we don't get to experience that that same yeah. kind of experience. So, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I But. You know, I'm glad that they toned it down after the first couple of minutes because I was laughing and giggling at first, yeah. you know, like, so. You Same know what, here. though? I felt like because they were driving in circles like that, it made, like, downtown seem so much bigger than it It, it really did. <laughs> like, low-key, I was like, yo, we're, we're kind of popping. We're sort of ready for this, you know, metropolitan boom if it's, if it's here to come because we kind of looked apart a little bit. Yeah, film. especially over by, like, Neon where they can be in the alleys and stuff. Like, that'd yeah. be a cool place to film. Yeah, very much. So n- not only did uh, Taylor was the first uh, person that got inside that uh, the hail shout out to Taylor, but then they picked up uh, Angus Black was another customer. Which, right. You know, yeah. if you know about, you know, <laughs> a- you know, Angus is a local comedian, man. Um, very instrumental in to bring in a lot of the acts that come into the Virginia Beach Funny Bone. He's kind of in the middle of those. Um, and then uh, Arkesha, uh, a girl named by the name of Arkesha, who's actually uh, part of the crew on this film. You know, I don't know if you guys looked in the in the crew credits, man, but I knew probably like a good like four or five people that were in the crew nice um, and, and and that felt good you know like oh damn you, you know a lot of local talent 
it was really homegrown talent that made this thing happen. And I thought that, that was pretty cool. Um, I'm glad because I, you know, I've been very sometimes a little bit of a hater of, you know, the prospects of Hampton Roads being a film thing. But it's always a little been bit more because, than a little bit. But go ahead. though. But it's always been because every time there's a movie here, everybody is flown in. Everybody is, you know, from out of state. And I looked at the IMDb credits and like, you're right. Like a lot of the crews from here, a lot of people who worked in the area, worked on the film. So that's been my gripe is that, you know, if you're going to come here and make a movie, use people from the area, right. you know? So, you know, if you don't use anybody from the area, then it's kind of no fucking point. So. Right. I mean, there is, there's like a, a, a film like lot. If we don't, I don't think they have sound stages at new dominion, but like it, we're capable. We have, we have the facilities to do it. And I don't, I mean, someone else could invest to, to have like another area where that kind of stuff is, is uh, available. We have the land to, to recreate Tyler Perry studios in Virginia. We, do. we just have to get like, you know, when this COVID shit is over, if we can get someone to endorse bringing the film industry here, it, I do think it could happen here. Well, really the, I think the only thing that keeps it from happening here, and this is what Pharrell has been working on, um, and a lot of people, not just Pharrell, but he's sort of the face for it. Uh, the reason why productions don't come here in abundance is because we have shitty tax credits. You know, these other places, you know, the, the Miami's, the Atlanta's, you know, right. all these places that actually do this for, for, you know, for the economy, um, they have much better tax breaks. You know, they'll give you like, you know, for every 10 million, you save a million, you know what I mean? And tax credits. And we don't, we don't have that, but you know, there is the Virginia film office and people that are lobbying for that. But so, you know, like governor Northam, man, if he were to get on the ball and, and really deem Virginia as like a tax credible entity. So that way, you know, people like Netflix that spend hundreds of millions of dollars can actually get some return on their investment, you know, before the, before these properties come out, I think they would bring them more. And I mean, and- I just think, I think we have the terrain for it and you're right. And I, I, I honestly think that would be something he probably would be entertaining if not for the pandemic. Oh, for sure. Just based on things that he's already done, I don't think that that would be something he'd have a hard time doing. And I honestly don't think he'd have a hard time swaying Republicans to do it because they'd see an opportunity to make money themselves. Right. Well, so in 2018, there was this, you know, this open letter that Netflix wrote to Governor Northam or whoever was governor at that time. Was it Northam? I think it was Northam at that time. Right. Mm -hmm. He had just gotten he was new. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, and they wrote like an open source letter basically saying, hey, you know, if you. If you do this, Netflix will bring productions for sure. So I'm pretty sure since then, and especially now with COVID and, you know, the state, you know, obviously needs to figure out new ways to source income. Uh, that's probably a thing. But um, just to kind yeah, of catch he, I mean, he has two more years to figure it out. He does. I, I'm, I'm confident he will. And I'm confident just hearing about more productions that Pharrell's trying to do. I'm very confident that if anybody can do it, a skateboard Pete, you know what I mean? So. I, I, I think and we've had successful films come out of here. We've had Oscar nominated films come facts. out of Virginia. Big facts. So just to kind of catch everybody up to speed, because I know we went on a long Virginia rant. Uh, if you're new to this podcast, uh, we are a Virginia based podcast. So that's why, um, you know, a lot of Virginia talk and American Dreamer was filmed in Norfolk, Virginia, which is, you know, probably the flags, the flagship city in what we call the 757 Southeastern Virginia, um, Tidewater, Virginia. So uh, that's why it's a lot of Virginia talk. It's very big to us because we don't get a lot of film productions. And this was actually, in my opinion, a very well put together production, a very tight story. I mean, there was a couple of loose ends in the story, but it, it was my kind of 
it was my kind of story personally and uh and some relatively good acting as far as i'm concerned man i'd like to hear y'all's take on that um i i really like the acting my i really liked jim and i really liked the the guy who played the um robbie the deal the dealer i don't know his name robbie jones Robbie, Robbie, robbie jones um i thought they did a really good job um and you know, I, I I went into this with a little bit of lowered lowered expectations, mm-hmm. but I I was I was really impressed. Um, I'm really curious to see what both of them can potentially do one day. You I'm know, not, and yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, that was it. Yeah. Jimmy G. The went only other dark, thing bro. I seen. What'd you say? I said Jimmy G. went he went dark. Yes. I've never seen Gaffigan this dark, bro. Dude, Gaffigan. Is you know he was one of my favorite comedians when I was young. I think I might have told this story here before. I've definitely told it on Act Three, but I wrote a uh, MySpace letter to him when I was fifteen, <laughs> and uh, and this man responded to me, and it was clearly his own words. And uh, you know anyone who's ever seen Jim Gaffigan stand up, he's mostly like a clean comic. He does like family comedy. I Man. still think he's hilarious. I saw him, um, you know, here in Norfolk last year. Um, continues to be one of my favorite comedians. And I think that this foray into a darker sort of role for him, for me, this totally worked. I think that he found a great dynamic and he made this work so much better than I had feared um, and and much better than I had hoped. Yeah, I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm with you, man. I, I mean, I've been in tune with his career for for quite a long time, um, at least a decade. Right. And uh. I had they were like I'm talking about almost from within the first five minutes I lost sight that that was Jim Gaffigan. It, Absolutely, it just, like I like he got buried into the character, man. And I really thought that that was that was important for me because when I saw that he was in it, it was the same thing. I was like, man, I don't know if this is gonna be all of that. Like, I mean, yeah, Chandler's he's the saying. he's the hot pocket guy. You know, everybody thinks <laughs> of him for the exactly hot pocket. I thought I thought Robbie Jones in terms of like being a Norfolk dude, I thought he kind of killed it, man. He had some he of the was slang. Great. Um, he said He's bruh so a good. little more than I would like. He wasn't he really using our much, slang. Yeah. I think that he I do think that he was like working on our accent though, which is yes. something I appreciate because you guys yeah. have probably heard me complain about people um coming to this part of Virginia and then wanting to talk like they're from Texas is right. weird. So so yeah, um, as far as like pulling off a Norfolk accent, I could tell that he spent some time like talking to Norfolk people. He just was throwing out bruh a little too much. And I was like, reel it in. We're not New Orleans. Like, I don't know, no, man. I said Oakland. bruh a lot when I was like in my early 20s. Like I said it a lot. So like last week? Last <laughs> week I said bruh like easily 300 so, like, times. Like a year ago? So so I think I think bro is part of the landscape vernacular with like you know when we talk about Norfolk but it's not that much and when I usually hear it it ain't really bruh it's more bro mm-hmm. you know it ain't bruh it's bro so that the, the bro when I hear too much of the bruhs that's like Oakland to me but see, oh, and, I mean, and it but, sounds that's why and I think of New Orleans they say yeah. bro a lot too okay. but, but is this movie about Virginia it's not it's just filmed here I don't think this movie yeah, is like planting itself I yeah. was going to piggyback on that is like the movie makes no effort to say it's Norfolk. It's just, right. it's just, it just urban, 
urban environment 101. <laughs> right. You know, exactly. You exactly. Know, so. I mean, you got to be fair. That's you. That's you guys' opinion. And I and I do agree that like it's supposed to be like any town in America. But I'm just to to um, Treasy's point. I'm complimenting his effort to even attempt our accent. Very much. Well, yeah. Lisa, you offended me, and I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Lies. <laughs> I just and I just told you how cool your haircut looks. See how oh, you do me? <laughs> you did. I thank you. All right, we're cool again. So, um, uh, you know, Derek. Has anybody else seen any Derek Bort films? The director. I'm excited mm. to see his next one with Russell Crowe. It's supposed to be one of the first that. first films back in theaters. Nice. That'll probably go to digital, unfortunately. But I know it quick. does seem that way. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't see. I can't see. No pun intended. I can't see the theaters trying to hinge their box office on. You know, uh, <laughs> you definitely intended the pun, bro. You no, no, no. I wanted to say hinge, and then I realized it was hinge was already in the get with the definition with the definition. You know what I mean? So I just had to kind of give some separation. But but I, don't, I you know, go ahead. I didn't. I don't know much about his 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 filmography, but looking like through. Um, what I see here on IMDb, he he has another short film called Our Nation. I'm gonna see if I can find it, and if I, I do, I'll share on Instagram where it is. It was shot in Norfolk, but it's set yeah. in 1915. Yeah. So I'm just, and I can tell they're outside of like where they are. They're probably still downtown shooting a film, like um, around some of the preserved colonial homes, which we talked about last week on the podcast. So like, I'm really interested to see that. Right. Well, so so just to kind of background about that, the um the one that you talked, what'd you say it was called again? Our nation. Our nation. So I know I believe that that one was uh, funded with a little bit of ODU money. I think that was like an ODU project. And um, this was also it seemed like uh, partially funded. The American Dreamer is partially funded by an ODU grant, which yeah. um, I think who's who runs the film department over there? David Mallon, is it? I think that's the name that I'm familiar with. David Mallon over at ODU Norfolk. But I used anyway. to know the former one, but I don't know the new one. Yeah, I think oh. it's I think it's Malin, man. And if if, if it if if that is your name, I don't I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. I just want to, you know, open if you happen to listen, man, I want to open handedly clap to you, man, because it feels like you're doing some very progressive things, uh, getting his students working, because I'm pretty sure that's part of what's going on here is that his students are probably, you know, uh, uh, production assistants, you know, helping with the G&E team and all this other stuff, getting experience working on these sets. But then to to do these releases with a, a guy like Derek Bort, which he's not top tier Hollywood director, but he's definitely got a name that's worked with some, you know, he's worked with some big names, David Duchovny, you know, uh, Russell Crowe now. Um, uh, he's worked with some big names, man. And and I think bringing a caliber of talent like that, which he's already from Virginia, I believe, um, back home, you know, funding it with ODU grant money um, and then giving your students you know experience to work on films that i personally think you know this is one for one he's kind of hit out the park for me i think that's really that's very progressive as somebody who went to odu i I don't think that was happening in our time there Corey. what do you no not at all i mean when i went there it was a a minor and now it's a full major you know which is which is kind of dope you know um it was different times in the mid-2000s when chandler was born right oh my god you know, and I was born in 94. Oh, shit. Oh, that, wait, Martin, Martin, you went to ODU too, didn't you? Sorry to cut you off. Yeah, it was, there was no film studies major. Mm-hmm. There was like a, it was a minor. There was theater studies. 
Yeah. We had just got like the sound stage and like cameras and all that stuff. So this type of stuff really wasn't happening at ODU when I was there. Yeah. I think that's dope. I mean, I, I love the idea of him coming back to try to increase the value of the economy that he was born into. I I love that. We always say how we want people when they uh, reach a certain level of achievement to give back to other people in their community to, you know, open the door um, and yep. then walk through it and pull some people through it with him. And I think he's a shining example of how to do that. Um and I will say this, like when someone tells me a movie shot in Norfolk, I'm like, mm, okay. <laughs> so, so um, I was ex- my, like Corey said, my expectations were lower. But then when I looked, I was like, oh no, this is a real movie. Yeah, <laughs> so I, real and movie. I think, like mm-hmm. you said, having the students work on the film, then you give them a credit so that they can. That's real life experience that they can take on to try to, you know, increase their portfolio to create some value for themselves yeah. in the industry. So if he continues to do that, like you know, he has that's nothing big. but respect for me. Yeah, very much. Uh, you know, that kind of knowledge of being on a set and seeing how, quote unquote, things are really done. You know, that sh- that kind of shit sticks with you, um, especially if this is the field you want to go in. It's always good to have reference. Um, fam, I was on the edge of my seat this entire like uncomfortably on the edge of Absolutely. my seat this entire film. Man, did anybody else experience that shit? Yeah, this this movie pissed me off. <laughs> OK, a little talk bit. about it. Lizzie. Um, go ahead, Lizzie. Are y'all familiar with Terrence Nance's concept of white devilry? No, talk to me. Can't say so, that I am lazy. <laughs> so, so do you know who Terrence Nance white is? People, white people yeah. every day. So, no, that's your no. that's your concept of white devilry. Oh, okay, <laughs> I was just thinking, you know, <laughs> so, white people waking up uh, every single day. <laughs> n- no, <laughs> so, um. So basically, he talks about social programming to make uh, to that's done through film to make you root for white people when they're doing things that are fucked up. Mm -hmm. So even when white people are doing things that are wrong, when you should not be on their side, they kind of put them in a in the position of the protagonist so that you are you are on their side. So movies like Thelma and Louise or (laughs) Um, what was time. the one that we watched about like the, remember I told you everybody in this movie shitty where the guy's blind and they break into his house and you're like, no, I don't need to root for you. You're going to someone's house to like rob them. Oh yeah. Don't breathe or something like don't that. Don't breathe. breathe. Yeah. That movie rules, bro. That movie's so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> oh, okay. And, Chandler. And, 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 <laughs> and I'll throw another one in there. Good time. This had good yeah, time. Yeah. Good time is another example safeties. of, of. I mean, even, even, um, watching what's the other one, Uncut and Uncut Gems, those are both what Terrence Nance would call white devilry. So um, this was a prime example of that. I do not think that Derek Bort wants you to cheer for Jim Gaffigan. I don't think that he wants you to do that, but this is definitely an example of that. I think that Jim, I think that Derek Bort is giving some messaging about white privilege. Absolutely. um, In this movie, um, more so than he wants you to see Jim Gaffigan win. I think it's more about like how white people, do things to justify their bullshit at the expense of people of color. Yeah. Um, but it is yeah. what, and Terrence Nance, I don't know if y'all are familiar is uh, behind random acts of flyness. And you know, this is something that he explores and talks about. But I, as I was walking out watching yeah. this, I was like, Oh, Terrence Nance would have a fucking field day. Yeah. No, with ter- this movie. Terrence, <laughs> Terrence Nance, man, visually he is, he's, he's like, he, you could tell he was born to be an artist, man. Just when you watch some of, some of his stuff like yeah, just his presentation of imagery huh 
the imagery's great, but I'm watching it like, I don't know what the fuck I'm supposed to be learning, but it's yeah, beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you know, that's the whole thing, man. When you get like auteur, sometimes it's just, it's every, you know, all this shit is shrouded in imagery and it, that's really the, it, the you it know, It is the interesting you, s- sorry. It is yeah. interesting you say that because I think the whole time that I was watching the movie, I was texting Treasy like, yo, this dude's a fucking dirtbag, yo. Like, <laughs> like, 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 yo, this guy's a piece of shit. Like he's doing some really awful things. And and then at the end, you know, obviously he, he, he kind of wins quote unquote. He gets away with this shit. And I was like, yo, like this guy sucks. That's what I think that's totally emblematic of the, Mm -hmm. the theme, which is, it's definitely white privilege as, as Lisey said. And I, I think though Jim Gaffigan's character is the protagonist, i.e. like he is the one that, motivates the plot and drives it forward. I don't right. think he is a hero in the movie. I actually think it's interesting because it's sort of a movie without a hero. I think mm. the closest thing to a hero you have is Robbie Jones's character right. who's trying to rescue his son, but also uh he's not a great guy and he definitely like murders a whole woman in this movie. Um, <laughs> murders the whole woman. So yeah. I think that it's a, it's a very interesting look at sort of the ills of our society in a way that I think, and this is controversial, Uh-oh. I think that this movie in some ways you could argue that it achieves things that Todd Phillips's Joker set out to accomplish and maybe didn't hit as hard as this movie does. Oh, I think this no. is a way less toxic movie than Joker. Yeah, I agree. This movie comes down on on more the right side of the argument than Joker does. I would I would disagree because I I feel like Joker did exactly I Joker did exactly what you can do with this kind of story with a hundred million dollars. You know, like I feel like this movie was a watered down version of what. The Joker, like water yeah, down. Like, what well, are you talking, bro? So Joker, I don't, I don't, it makes Joker a hero. Joker makes it like you could definitely walk away from Joker and be like, "Damn, that guy was such a badass." I'm gonna go start a riot. I'm gonna shoot Robert De Niro on TV. <laughs> no, what I'm and saying I think is, a lot of like, people did in the same concept of making somebody who is who's kind of a piece of shit and who's also doing bad things and then being perceived as a hero. Like I, I look at the Joker is like, that's what you get when you throw a hundred million dollars at a story such as this. But I, but to Chandler's point, I agree with Chandler. I think this movie is more careful with Mm -hmm. not making Jim Gaffigan a hero. Um, I think that the movie wants you to hate him. I want, I think the movie wants you to understand that, no matter what he's going through, what he did at the expense of these other people is terrible. Whereas the Joker movie kind of makes you go, we'll see what happens when you fuck with the underdog. Yes, Lizzie, well, I'm right there with you. But I'm with you too. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm 100% with you. Like, my gripes with this film was that I didn't really understand what Jim Gaffigan was going through. There you, you go. Know, see, I, so that was going to be, go ahead. I'm sorry to cut you off. I want to. No, I was just saying, like, and I think some of that is writing or slash maybe editing and and like how they actually presented it. But I didn't really understand why Jim Gaffigan is kind of sucks as a human being. He's Um, down on his luck. 
Yeah, he's I know. Lost, I mean, he gets fired kid. from his job. His ex-wife yeah. is keeping him from seeing his son, and he, he suffers from mental it as a illness. Financial issue that he can solve by fucking up this black guy's life because he but thinks what I that's feel a bad person. This... So if I do something bad to a bad person, I'm a good person. But where I think this movie failed is that those feel like bullet points, and I think the movie is supposed to present to you from editing and production and camera work actual like how these bullet points affect this this character so I'm, like I'm, everything you said makes sense but like they're just bullet points it, it felt like a very black and white version like you wow. know why this person not not literally black and white chandler um <laughs> no 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 that's not what, <laughs> i don't think you thought that. <laughs> that's not what you know I what i mean it just felt like oh this guy's divorced so he clearly should be upset. It's like, well, no, I yeah, I interpret it, but... Corey. Think about this. I, I this movie kind of starts in media res, right? Like he already has the deal with Robbie Jones's character. He's already gone through all this stuff that we learn about through these snippets of dialogue, which I think personally I really enjoy. You know, suggesting a backstory more than telling us about it directly. But I interpret this as like this guy has a struggle with mental health. And he's mm -hmm. been going through it for a long time. And recently, it has gotten the best of him. And we're sort of seeing the very beginning of his downfall, um, losing to this struggle with mental health. That's how I felt it. And I think that I'm just interpreting it a little bit differently than you are. Whereas you're saying like the movie doesn't really give us a lot to work with. I guess I saw that as like an intentional choice and I, and I liked it for that. Yes. See, I think the so, movie well, also posits that he's a regular guy and that regular people can spiral really quickly. You can see yeah. them one minute and they seem fine. And then the next minute they're doing some heinous shit and you're like, how did we get here? Yeah. Um, one of the most important scenes to me that kind of demonstrated like how far removed from his previous life he was is when he's at the gas station and he runs into his old coworker. Oh, yeah. I and like not wanting the... his coworker to know that he's like basically an Uber driver, right. um, that he wasn't able to bounce back from his setback of getting fired at work. Right. Um, he was like embarrassed still. So I, I mean, I, I kind of like the suggestion rather than you spoon feeding, but I do get what you're saying too. I could see where it lacked a little bit of depth. So, so Corey, so just to yeah. kind of go back to what he was saying and to piggyback off of everything you guys are saying, I thought about that when, when you brought it up to me, Corey, for a, a while, a little bit. And I think that was definitely intentional because because to me, I was on some like these are not their problems, but they're all fixable. Like they're not they're Nothing's life threatening. Right. There, There's every problem that you have. Just give it a little bit of time. Right. And I think that's intentional where it's like um, the chasm of like somebody who comes from privilege sort of losing just a little bit of it the extent that they're willing to go to, to kind of like restructure their life where somebody like me, right. And like, you know, and not me specifically, but you know, bad shit happens all the time. And my life has been coping with bad shit. So like when, when situations where there's a little bit of tension sort of arrive, yeah, it affects me. It affects me maybe on a personal level, sometimes my interaction level, but I'd never think to go to these extremes because it doesn't seem out of place for what my life has been where it's like, it seems like, these little bits of um, iniquities are like huge to him because he's used to coming from a place of privilege. So I actually think that was intentional in the writing. Um, and, and I'll make that comparison where I think it's a little bit. I, I hear what you're saying, Chandler, with your joker comparison, but it's different. Whereas like um, 
there was shit that was actually really happening to the Joker, like physical, you know, physical, like things that were happening to the Joker, you know, him getting jumped and hit with the sign and him getting robbed at gunpoint. Like that, you know, there was things that actually happened to him to bring him to these moments. So I think that's a little bit of a false comparison, but I, do I don't think that's what Chandler's saying. Okay. No, okay. So I, maybe I missed the point. If I can, and not to interrupt you sure. in your point, Treacy, I'm very interested in what you have to say. Sure, but sure. what I'm more saying is exactly what you just pointed out. The fact that things happen to Joker in the course of that story uh-huh. that are meant to make us empathize with him and sympathize with him and sort of see why he becomes the person that he does. I think mm-hmm. that those things in that story are actually in disservice of the narrative it's trying to tell. Whereas I think, you know, all the lip service that like Todd Phillips paid to the story was like, we want this whole thing to be disturbing. This is about what happens, um, you know, when mental illness runs amok in our society. And I also, I, I just don't know if I buy that. I think that it, that movie more depicts a guy who, he does have horrible stuff happen to him and then takes a bad uh, a bad approach to solving those problems, whereas this story is clearly about a guy who is deranged, and I think that making him unsympathetic makes the story more successful in my eyes, of course. That's just right. my I, opinion. I get what you're saying. No, but no, I that, get what you're saying, Treasy, as well. I don't think that Joker is a story about white privilege. This is right. a story about white privilege. Yes, yes, well, very much And so. I would agree, Joker has real problems. I do yeah. agree with that. He had some way more fucked up shit happening to him than this guy. But like you said, Joker does not live in a place of privilege. Right. Can, we, can we just flash back to the Joker podcast we did where Treasy said Joker was just a fun popcorn time at the movies? what what i'll piggyback on too is that you know sometimes i i'm with you chandler is that i I, i've actually criticized several times on the podcast like movies that spoon feed you too much shit Mm -hmm. what i think i needed in this film was a little bit more movie magic and sometimes as much as i don't want spoon fed i still want some sort of artistic expression. So when you look at a film like The Joker, he he does a slow dance and slow-mo in front of a mirror for like a minute, a minute and a half. You know what I mean? And that is clearly an artistic expression between the character from Joaquin and the director and the presentation, things like that. What I felt like I didn't get in this movie was a very flat presentation. Huh. I got a very blah presentation so sometimes even though i i love movies that are very raw and they're very uh, emotional but i still want that movie i still want to watch a slow motion sequence of a guy you know dancing in front of a mirror like i still want that because that tells me about the joker that that scene in that film is so dope to me but that's an artistic expression. But also keep you know in I mean? mind, keep in mind too, we've had, we've, you know, we've had iterations of Joker, right? And one of the things yeah. that, that we had with like Jack Nicholson's Joker is that he danced. So I, so yes, it was an artistic choice, but it was also to sort of button up why he dances. You know well, what I'm I saying? Know, but like, like, so there's I a mean, lot of backstory. So, but, so I, I say that to say if there wasn't so yeah. many iterations of this Joker, him dancing probably wouldn't even have made the script. You understand what I'm saying? But there's still an artistic expression where you're you're doing something that's meant to 
show you this character in a more artistic way. I don't and know I that it, it needs to be art like artistic for me to get it. I think one of the one of the the very first scene where he's sitting in the car and he's daydreaming about being at the beach when he's really mm-hmm. sitting in the parking lot at the airport waiting to pick up a person tells yeah. you a lot about what the character's desires are versus what his reality is. Yeah. But I think movies that tend to hit the theaters right. tend to have moments like that sprinkled throughout. Sure. And I felt like this film did it in the first 10 seconds and then said, I'm good. Yeah. Well, this film also is a tight 90 minutes. And I mm-hmm. that is something that I appreciate in films all the time. I love 90 minutes specifically. It's perfect for a three-act structure. And I think that I really, I have just a little bit more respect for films that can get an entire story out in that time economically. And I think this film is so good at that. And, you know, I, I totally get what you're saying, Corey. And that's that's a very interesting point to bring up. Um but the like the visual flourishes in this movie, I think, are more. They're during the important scenes. It's not like we don't. You're right. We don't take a pause, you know, mm-hmm. to have a um a moment where we really get introspective inside the characters. That doesn't happen very often, at least. But I think like the way that this film looks, the way that it cuts together, the way yes. that even the way that it shoots dialogue inside of a car. I think all of these things are I, really well done. I'm with done. you. For a for a low budget film, I thought the car scenes were done very well. Yeah. yeah. The photography and I, on this I was, is amazing. I was analyzing going, this is some shit you don't see in a very low budget film. Yeah. We're all laid they, down on the floor. To yeah, get the dialogue like, from the back seat. Yeah, they, I, I will tell you this. They did a very good job with how they shot those scenes. I was very impressed. To me, the art in this is definitely in uh, the presentation. Like this, to me, this feels almost more documentary than it does like, you know, standardized. The, let's get I'm the blocking you. right. You know, that like the presentation of this, I, I feel like the art is in making me feel like this shit can actually happen. And that was sort of the experience that I had with Good Time, which I I bring up so many times here. Uh, you know, I think there's a, you know, and I don't know to, whether to attribute this to the acting, to the directing or the writing. I would imagine it's sort of like a little bit of all three columns. But to take something so heinous and remove the actuality, like the Joker can never happen. That's just I, I'm I'm not thinking in that in that terms. But this I'm like, yo, you can almost pick a story on wavy tv 10 or wtkr if we're talking about chandler right hey you, you can pick a story off wtkr where you know somebody found a, a, a child you know uh, an abandoned child behind a fucking motel and you can almost visualize like mm-hmm. oh shit th- this explains how it got there and it not feel contrived did not feel completely off the mark and to me there's an art in that man with yeah you know you know so much so much room to dramatize incidences and give you so many places where you're like, oh, I can never be that person. I'm not so sure. I don't know somebody like Cam, you know, like Jim Gaffigan's character. I'm not sure that I don't know these people, you know, um, and just have never seen them in these in their desperate moments like this. You know what I mean? I think that you're you're totally right. Um, you know, it uh, it is striking how real everything feels in this film like it it the the filmmaking style like the visuals the way that the camera's almost always handheld like we see very few if any tripod shots i think that contributes a large amount to it but also the writing is very naturalistic mm-hmm. um 
And I think one of my favorite things about it, like I said, how we start sort of in media res and the exposition is handled so deftly and it's just doled out in small bits of sentences here and there. And that feels really real as well. So it does sort of feel like we just dialed into like one night in these people's lives and nothing really strains credibility like that. I think I think you said it beautifully. You know, I'm just going on and on about it, but I think that I, I'm totally in line with what you're saying. But I also I feel like I Corey, I didn't mean to like slam down what you were saying, bro. Like I no, I totally get what you were saying, and I I just I disagree with it, but I I understand where you're coming from, and I I totally see your point. Yeah, well, thanks. Corey's a style guy. He does like style. I will you know. I, I mean, say that. don't get me wrong. I I 100 agree with everything you guys are saying. I just one of my issues sometimes with film is that the presentation is intentional and the presentation is, is completely important to how a film is perceived. And sometimes movies just, they fall flat and it could be a great fucking story. But if you just present it in a way that's not impactful, then nobody cares. Martin, how did you feel? I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I just, Uh, I I feel like this could have been a lot more impactful. Yeah, I was gonna let y'all get y'all praises off for a while, <laughs> <laughs> and then drop the anvil off the roof. <laughs> no, I mean, I I feel it's definitely similar to Corey. I mean, there's a certain standard you expect as far as like acting, uh, cinematography. Like, there's certain stuff you kind of expect from a film, and even even seeing stuff like uh, Sonya's early films or his like that type of crime genre, mm-hmm. a film like. I don't feel like American Dream Dreamer like lived up to that standard to me. Mm. I mean, mm, okay. it 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 was kind of hard for me to get past. Like it, yeah. It's it's kind of like when you're watching. Let's say let's say you're watching a video right on YouTube, and for some reason, like your um the resolution isn't right. Like the resolution should be like 1080, and it's like. 640 or something like that it's it's distracting that's kind of how i feel about american dreamers so i can never really like i could see that the plot is like really well done and i could see what they were going for but i never really could get into it that much Mm. that is so crazy for me to hear you say that because i just feel like this movie looks just as good as so many other films that i have gone and sat down in a theater to see yeah same yeah yeah I i i actually think that it looked good I think it was edited and presented in a way that didn't match modern cinema, modern film. Mm-hmm. Like, so, Drop which it. does we, happen. We talked about that off mic a little bit, Corey, and you mm-hmm. mentioned the scene with, uh, the scene in which the, you know, the child dies. And can yeah. you, do you want to just elaborate on why you, I mean, I think that was a really good point. I, I just felt like, yo, like when I, that that was such a pivotal moment. Like, yo, it went from you're a dumb criminal and you're 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 making a dumb decision to 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 rob, you know, this guy's child. And you you killed this kid. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the way that it was edited and the way that it was presented, I, I I couldn't I couldn't connect. I was like, at first I was like, oh, that sucks. And then like five seconds later, it cut to the next scene and we're just moving along. And then he spent the rest of the movie not really 
you know, connect the character. I felt like didn't connect with the decisions that he's made because so, he was a sociopath. I, I, yeah, yeah. I, which yeah. I'm not. I'm not going to disagree with you. But what was amazing to me was that okay, like when Maz gets in the car and he smells gas, I'm like, oh shit, the baby's dead. Yeah, he's dead. I knew it already. Mm-hmm. As soon as, they, as, soon as he said he smelled gas, I'm like, that poor child is dead. Like there's he's inhaling gasoline fumes and he's dead. Yeah. Um, well, so I knew that the baby was going to be dead when he went to open the trunk. Yeah. What I didn't understand is how he thought he was still going to go through with the fucking plot to right. get the money after he killed the kid. I'm like, why wouldn't you just abandon this idea and just and keep going? But I guess the that's story what I'm saying is like, going. I didn't connect with him. Like I didn't connect with his, his dumbness. I didn't connect with his irrationalness. I didn't connect with his desperateness. I I I, I didn't understand it. Well, me. for for me, I think that it was a. If we're going with the theme of this is an exploration of white privilege, um, and also like apathy towards like people of color, right? Mm-hmm. If you're thinking about it from that perspective, at the you would think like a normal person if they got in that situation and it went farther than they wanted it to go, that they would they would back up from it and go, okay this is not at all how I intended for this to go. Like it's too far for me. But if a person is so focused on what they need out of this situation that they don't care what happens to you, then, then they're going to keep moving forward with, he's like, well, it sucks that that went that way, but I still need what I need. So like, fuck whatever's happening. to me. And that's very emblematic of like problems in our larger society. So, I mean, and if you're looking at it from that perspective, through that lens, then I kind of get it. But from a perspective of someone who does have empathy like me and you, who does care about how we affect people, like it seems so crass. So I I think we got we got I think we got spoon fed that right when he because he originally broke into the house to kidnap the woman. Right. And she wasn't there and it turned into the child. So I think that was the first like sort of evidence that like, okay, this is Michael Myers out of the, the facility like he's. He's getting what he wants. You know what I'm saying? You're going to have to kill him to stop him. And I think that was the that was like the that was the first step to that. So, you know, the baby dying, all that was just collateral damage, man, mm-hmm. as far as he was concerned. And, and, and you know, I go back to saying that, like, I think the, the writing is you keep using a special word disconnect. And I think that's I think that's super intentional because I, I, I do. I, totally agree. I, I do not connect with a, a person like this. Um, and, and I think mm-hmm. most most people do not. So, uh, you know, I think that's almost intentional just to make you feel. I like- mean, I agree with you. But I, one of the things I thought about during watching this was the um, the Black Mirror episode, uh, Crocodile Tears. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought about that episode and how that character continued this, you know, you're you're in too deep. You're you know. And of course, you're right. I I don't connect with these people because I don't do terrible things like this. Right. But I I, I look at the presentation. I remember Mm -hmm. when I watched Crocodile Tears, which is still one of my favorite Black Mirror episodes. Very good episode. When when you when I got to the end, I was like, fuck, you know, like I I felt like I went through this journey with this character. Right. And I'm not going to say that I would ever make these kind of decisions, but I remember at the end of Crocodile Tears, how exhausted that character looked and how that character felt based on her poor decisions. I mean, Crocodile is also white devilry. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, So, like, I'm saying I connected with her in the sense that, like, yo, when when we got to the end of it, when she just basically was like, 
fuck, I'm here. Like, take take me to jail now. Like, I connected with her frustration that she was trying to do. And Mm. I never connected with him in that regard. You know, and then also in the sense that with Crocodile Tears, I remember feeling a sense of this character does feel remorse. It's just she's fighting for her own survival, you know, Mm. at at the expense of others. Mm. So with him, it was like... I don't really feel that with you. Like I so that's what I mean by when I say I don't connect. I don't connect for the despair, the exhaustion. I don't connect with you in a sense of what it takes to to perpetuate this kind right. of lifestyle. I well, I, I see what you're saying, Corey. I think that this I think that these are two different types of storytelling that we're equating though. Mm-hmm. I think that there are stories that are tragic in nature where you're meant to mm-hmm to closely identify with the protagonist. And I think that there are also tragedies that you sort of have an omniscient point of view and you're just watching things um, descend into chaos and become a living hell. And I think that's more what this kind of movie is doing. So I, I, I sort of, you know, what Treasy said, like I think that your disconnect in the way that you're not empathizing with Jim Gaffigan, I, I would say that's intentional based on my viewing. But um, yeah. if that's what you're looking for in a movie and it didn't deliver that, then that's a totally valid criticism. Yeah. Some of these, some of his plot details of how he was, how he was trying to execute this plan, man. Like it, it was, you know, I just kept thinking that like, man, this is what, when you say things like when we say things like, um, you know, nice people finish last or like, you know, good shit happens. It seems like, you know, goodwill or good fortune happens to like excessively fucked up people. I just couldn't help myself, but continue thinking that man, like all these little decisions that he made, like, you know, the two rooms and like, it seemed like, uh, you know, Robbie Jones is, you know, Maz, that character was, he was like, he was one step behind him, like he was almost there on his tail. But then somehow or another, man, uh, Cam was able to like weasel himself out of it, man. And and I just kept saying like, yo, man, like for this to be very a poor plan, you know, an excessively fucked up crime. He just keeps getting he just like keeps getting away with this shit, man. And and. I don't know. Did any of y'all have that experience where it's just like, yo, what the fuck, man? Like, I kept thinking, like, dude, this, 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 Maz is way too smart to get, get played by Cam. And I mean, right. essentially, he didn't. He, cause he was just like, you know, I don't know why Cam thought, like, Maz is just gonna give me this money. He's gonna want his son back. Right. I'm like, no, he's gonna try to fucking kill you. Like, yeah. hasn't he already shown you that he'll kill a motherfucker for less? Like, yes. <laughs> so, right. so what made you think that, like, you were, and maybe he knew he'd end up having to kill him. I don't know, but like the, I was very bothered by the sigh of relief that he got to experience at the very end. I was like, yeah. you shouldn't get away with this. It's disgusting. It's <sighs> such a great, disgusting, and upsetting ending, and it <sighs> leaves you feeling horrible. And it, I think that that's obviously that's intended, right? Yeah. I walked yeah. out feeling yeah. like sick to my stomach after watching this in the theater, and that was it, it was a great but horrible feeling yeah did you sing Corey's white people fucking shit up song though while you were white leaving people <laughs> fucking shit up <laughs> <laughs> no which i i totally agree with you i texted treasy i was like yo this is fucked up you know like this guy fucking orchestrated 
the death of like fucking four people and and gets to get away with it. You know, yeah. that it, it was definitely completely fucked up. Even the fact that, you know, when he has one of his earlier manic episodes, right, at his uh his uh estranged wife's house with their son and he totally mm-hmm. like acts out a line. He he behaves in a way that frankly, you know, we've seen black people in America get killed for a lot less. Mm-hmm. And the black police officer, you know, sort of like gets this thread where he's like he identifies with him. He's like, "Hey man, you lucked out. She's not going to press charges, man. You got to just pay your stuff, man. Stay in line." Like he sympathizes with him. Like and and it just enables this guy's white privilege. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, he just he never gets checked. Yeah. That that that's that's kind of exactly what I was talking about with like, you know, you know, there's there's and, and what I don't remember exactly what the police officer said, but then he said did he allude to like he kind of had a similar situation or Yeah, he did. So that's kind of exactly what I'm saying is that like um dog everything that was happening to him was so manageable if you just did what you were supposed to do. But you you feel like that that shouldn't be an option because things should be uh accessible to you whenever you feel like or things should go according to the way that you want and which you know obviously you know we spoke about white privilege that that is a huge uh tally mark in the white privilege category but you know that's just you know it's privilege in general i think you know that's the mindset of privileged people that like you know i shouldn't have to say thank you they should be thanking me or you know or you know what however that sounds to somebody that has a certain type of privilege in a specific space like no sort of um just no humble element to it, man. Um, uh, Martin so, has said very little. Martin, you should tear this apart. I know you're waiting. Oh, no. Nah, I mean, I, I understand what you guys are saying. I actually thought that was like a pretty, that's actually a pretty genius um, remark that you made, Chandler, about like <laughs> white privilege and the, <laughs> the idea that like if that cop had just like done his job and stopped him right then and there, then like four people would still be alive. So mm-hmm. yeah, that like that that was actually pretty smart. I still I just like while we were talking, I went back and watched some of the movie, and I still don't <laughs> like it. <laughs> Funny guy. Yeah. What did you come away with? Or what part yeah, of you after? <laughs> I don't know. I just I just looked through some of it. Something about the shooting style. I like you said, it's like a documentary style or more almost like a it's not a cell phone it's not quite like that but it's like jerky in the way the camera moves and yeah. like some people's heads are cut off and that that kind of like it's a i know what they're doing basically because it's a street level film it's like it's about this like gritty like surface in norfolk or whatever but at the same time I, it just didn't work for me but I, I could see why people like it. I could see the plot. I could see the performances. But all in all, like it, it, some films don't click with me. And I think it's also a thing of like, I haven't been in a theater since like maybe February or March or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm so used to watching stuff in theaters that like, I know I've recently been watching movies like on my laptop or on the TV screen and they don't hit the same for me personally. Totally um, agree with that. that it is hard in these times it. to like really absorb a movie at home. I, I have trouble doing it as well. Yeah. 
so so some of the things you're talking about martin and did you ever get around to seeing good time yeah i've seen good time okay so i think some of these things you're talking about with like like the uh you know with the tight framing you know the very you know cutting off of heads i mean i think all this is designed to give you a sense of claustrophobia you know it's um Mm -hmm. it's it's very intimate right like there's not a lot of wide frames going on here um there's not a lot of perspective outside of these people you know um, but i like i still feel like good time good time is ugly because it's like this gritty version of queens or whatever like this dirty stuff you know but it's still beautiful in the way that like the colors and all the stuff that's in the framing whereas here i think there's a lot less um production design and maybe that's like on purpose but that that's just it feels like yo we just went to a park in park place and we shot something or we just went outside a house and we shot something it's now the right time to bring up martin's uh virtual background on screen right (laughs) martin is coming to us from the set of families rock and roll yeah oh yeah girl martin yeah, Martin has superimposed Tidewater Park into the into yeah. his background on this video. A neighborhood show. that's featured very heavily in American Dreamer. It yeah. is well, a few times. They and and do, for yeah. those for the uninitiated that are not familiar with Hampton Roads um, housing projects in Norfolk are referred to well, they used to be referred to as parks. Yeah. So if a neighborhood had park at the end of it, typically it was a housing project. Yeah. Um, they when I was a kid, they then like changed that over to give them. I think it's like instead of Tidewater Park now, it's like Tidewater Gardens or some such nonsense. Right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like yeah. that's why I said hit the park girl at the dance, yeah. made famous by that 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 amazing video. Go check that out on YouTube. Yeah. That's funny, man. Um, yeah, what a good I mean, conversation this has been, huh? Yeah, so far. Is there, are, are there any like striking plot points that we, I mean, because we didn't, I mean, if you've seen the movie, you know what time it is. Um, is there anything else that stuck out to us as like, uh, like, holy shit, you know, any, any moments mm. specifically? I really liked the, well, I, I liked it, but I, I thought it was a little cheesy, right? The whole thing where it's like the dude Gumby is smashing his girl, that whole dynamic, but they're like partners in the drug game. Um, I thought that story was a little contrived, you know what I mean? To I, I agree, but it's like realistic. That happens. Yeah, that is very You know realistic. what I what I really liked, and it's related to that plot line. The fact that right before she figures out that Jim Gaffigan is the one who took the baby, yeah, that she like rails a bunch of coke and it sort of renders her unable to adequately communicate to Robbie Jones the situation. Um, yeah. And that when, you know, he's got the gun to her head and she just, she's trying to tell him like what's going on and she can't because right. of fear. And also I think definitely the drug influence is supposed to be there. And he just feels like, Oh, she's just coked up again. Like, you know, right. this obviously I can't believe anything she says. And I thought that that was just, a really smart um, example of like the writing in this movie and how it, um, you know, ties the plot together. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like, I like how uh, I like that moment in general when she figures it out and then he turns around and kind of like, you know, intimidates her and doesn't like cover her mouth and is like, you know, don't fucking say she, like, you know, it, he turns very, very violent. And I think that's probably like the most scary. violent that we see him in that, 
outside of hitting the dude with the car, you know, but you know, it's very like physically intimidating and he really embraces this bad guy character, you know, um, whereas every, every other time it seems like he feels like he's doing the right thing. And that was the moment where he, you know, he knew what he was doing and he was very cognizant. He lets it slip for a second. His whole facade of like, I'm just a nice white guy and I'm just down on my luck. He loses it in that moment and it's very alarming. And then right after, you know, when Robbie Jones comes out of the house, right? And he sees that and he lets her go. He goes right back to it. He snaps right back into, hey, everything's going to be all right. It's going to be fine. Yeah. Scary. It's it's the psychosis. It's the the you know the mental health crisis that this guy's dealing with. I and that felt like very true to you know at least my personal experiences with you know mental health and and people that I've known who have dealt with it. Right. Out of curiosity, right? So we know like the, I mean the shooting. I think the shooting schedule in this ended up being like something like twelve days, sixteen days. It was something. It's something in the teens, which is obviously short for feature film, um, which probably means that Jim Gaffigan spent about a good two weeks here in Virginia. Let's speculate. Like, where did he go? Like, where did he stay? Where did, what did he do to get into this character? <laughs> you know, I'm so uh, mad. I didn't see him driving around. Like what my favorite comic of all time, maybe, n- maybe number two. And like, yeah. I just, this dude was just chilling in my hood and I didn't see him. I wonder, did, <laughs> he, do any, did he do any performances <laughs> while he was here? I wonder like, in was he at the, did he come to the funny bone at all? He, I think he's been to the Funny Bone for sure. Yeah. Or no, no, no. I th- I, the Funny Bone might be too small for Jim Gaffigan. When I when I saw him last winter, it was at um, it was at Scope. I think. He is the Scope. Oh, yeah. I mean, okay. He's a, he plays he plays big. So yeah. I, I wonder if he I wonder if he did any small shows while he was here. Or he probably I, I, was at the Funny Bone, sitting up in the balcony where no one could see his ass, like right, something <laughs> watching like that. other comedians. But but it it does make me wonder, like you know just knowing the terrain, like where, where did he stay? You know, what, you know, you hear these stories about what Heath Ledger had to do to get into the Joker. You know, what are you doing here in Virginia? Like you go into a, like a, a, a shitty dive bar and, you know, uh, what's that bar that was over, on, uh, that we used to joke about with Gene Corey, the one where they did, <laughs> they did a um, uh, karaoke. It was a Vietnamese bar. Oh, the <laughs> yeah, over by Tortilla West. Yeah. What was that yeah, place called? That, I don't remember, but yeah, the 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 Filipino karaoke bar. The Filipino. Yeah. I said Vietnamese. Well, I'm terrible. Wow. Right. Yeah, there are way more Filipino people here than Vietnamese. Vietnamese. That's why my face was puzzled. I was like, they got a whole bar for Vietnamese. Yeah, I, I, I missed your face. But no, I can I can see him going to a place like that to get in the character for this, Corey. That place, man, you get in there, you get automatically depressed. That's for sure. Oh shit! Yeah, it's it's just, it's just the way it's lit, the way it feels, man. It just feels like something that, like, yo, I don't want nobody to know I'm here, bro. Like, I have no <laughs> idea what place you're talking about, and I've hung out in Chelsea a lot. Like, what was huh. the name of that place, Corey? Do you remember? You have I a don't, good memory. I don't remember. Um, mm. I, I, it's some, it's a really shitty bar now, but like, I, I don't remember. Yeah, I remember it was. You would go there after all the other bars close, and you would stay there till five in the morning. It was was it, it was where Torch terrible. is? Yeah, it's exactly oh, it's exactly okay. where Torch is. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know the bar scene now. That was my twenties. But um, um, anything else worth sort of like uh, pointing out with this film? I well, really can- like the scene where they pull up on his baby mother the first time, and he like he had when he sees his son. Uh, when Ma sees his son, he gets really really excited and like shows him a wad of cash. Mm-hmm. And he's like, look what I got for you. And yeah. I'm thinking like, 
that's a really humanizing moment in the sense that like, no matter who you are, like your kids are motivating you to do whatever you do so that you can provide a better life for them. Sure. Um, which basically makes Maz and Jim Gaffigan have the same motivation in the movie. Mm. What do you guys think about the title American Dreamer? How do you read that? Um, I mean, I, th- I wish they, I wish they connected it more to both the characters. I, I I felt more with um, uh, the dealer than I did with Jim in terms of American the American dream, but but the, I think they're both in pursuit of it, right? Yeah, I do too. But I didn't I didn't get that from Jim. I mean, they, they telegraphed it, it with the, that with that daydreaming scene that first that very uh, first ten seconds. I'm just telling y'all, man, the delivery. The, I, I blame the editor. I blame the editor for this film. Wow. Like I blame I like. Hope he hears this and punches you in the face. Yo, I blame you. I blame you. <laughs> oh, Your he gonna hear this and you fucking up future opportunities for yourself. This might be someone yeah. you could actually work <laughs> with. Corey. Like Walk that shit back. <laughs> <laughs> Just the sense of pace and emphasis on things. It 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 felt like it just didn't connect. It just didn't connect for me. Mm. You know. So so as a, as a as a black man in America, right, and especially with like you know in today's time, um, I, I, to me the title is very reminiscent of what American history is to me anyway. You know, it's just white people doing whatever the fuck they want, pillaging and taking whatever they want to make their dream come true at the expense of other people. So to me, it's very fitting in that way. You know. Um, yeah, it's very ironic. You know, yeah. the uh, it's it's taking the American dream and framing it um, in about as unflattering a light as you can. The metaphor may not be lost on me that it was a white man at the wheel, right? And everybody's just uh, his passengers in his car. That's really smart. It's really good, right? Really good. Yeah, yeah. that is good. Um, what so, was his specific? Did Did anybody know what was his specific mental illness that he was dealing with? I don't want to. I don't want to do that. Yeah, I don't. I don't, don't want to do that. I think that's in that. disservice to people who have a diagnosis for mental illness. I think that a a person without a specific diagnosis can do horrible things, and well, I don't. I don't think it's fair to be like, well, I think that he's manic depressive or all of these things. I think that he was a shitty person. The well, point is that he needs he needs help, and he's resisting it. We see that clearly in a scene with where he's on the phone. Yeah, I'm, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm, right. I'm I'm okay with that, but I don't I don't love the idea of like labeling him with a specific like well, no with this diagnosis. But did the did the film do that? I thought that's what Martin was no, asking. Did the film no, do the, that? No, the film didn't. They didn't. They didn't even play with the idea that he had a diagnosis. I think I think the part of it that you're supposed to take away is that like a regular ass person with regular ass problems can do some horrible shit at the expense of other people. No, they, 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 cause they made, didn't they show it was seen of him taking meds. So he had a diagnosis. I think his wife knows he has something. Like yeah. Well, and he, isn't it his brother he's on the phone with? Who's like, you need to go back to the the center or whatever. Yeah. They kind of, they, they made some illusions and there was definitely a, a, a med scene in there, um, but it's not, I think it's, I think it's a wise choice. This is like, I guess like sort of inside it. baseball, but, yeah, when you're making a movie about, you know, somebody who's mentally ill, I think it, you don't want to politically you just don't want to label that as a specific mental illness or or condition because then it could, you could be demonizing that people. You could be making life harder for people who really suffer suffer from that. Right. Or, yeah, but it's also like it's like you're demonizing like we clearly know he has mental illness. So isn't it kind of like just demonizing all mental illness by not saying 
what it is. I see a case. I think you could definitely make an argument for that, Martin. You definitely could. And I (laughs) I sort of said that with Joker. I'm I'm with I'm with I'm with Lizzie. Like, you know, we've seen movies like this where I think the point is to show that a regular person under, you know, detrimental circumstances will resort to shitty behavior. But it's to, in the text of the movie. You know, it's it's yeah, his text. Yeah. That's, it's not that's an actual argument I heard for Joker is people are like, they don't say exactly what he has, so this right. movie is trash. Yeah. Like, I've heard that argument against Joker. Well, there's so. also like, you know, that M. Night Shyamalan, of course, this has been a hotly debated topic on this show, but, you know, Split and Glass. Glass may be the best movie of 2019. Um, <laughs> Never. Not even close. You know, they do label... <laughs> Razzy, they. Yeah. They label yeah. the James McAvoy character as having DID, and that is definitely not an accurate portrayal of people who have DID. And I think that's probably harmful to stereotypes around that disorder, right? So I, I just, I guess it's a hairy situation. What's DID? I'm not this, familiar. Dissociative uh, identity disorder, which we used to call uh, multiple personality disorder. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. When when I watched this, I thought of Crocodile Tears. And I thought of uh, breaking down, uh, the old um, falling down. Yeah, falling, falling down. down. Yeah. I'm so wow, breaking down. Yeah, yeah. falling down. <laughs> yes, I thought of falling down. Crocodile Tears, like the fictional movie that Philip Seymour Hoffman is in. in no, uh, no the episode Pally. is actually called Crocodile. He just keeps calling it Crocodile Tears, and I let that rock yeah. many times. Yeah. Really? It's I got just that called wrong? Crocodile. Yes, yeah. you did. It's just oh, called Crocodile. Well, well, um, <laughs> but the I'm assumption sorry, the fuck to everybody. is Crocodile Tears. Okay, <laughs> so Crocodile, the Black Mirror episode, and Falling Down. So apparently I've, I've got both those wrong, but Fucking you get them. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, my biggest reference, um, and, and also because they came out uh, around the same time, I would imagine there was probably some over. I, I would imagine that American Dreamer was probably somewhat inspired by good time um just because of the time frame it came out the presentation of it uh, i'm not saying it's a direct rip but i i think it was probably heavily inspired um there's a lot of 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 threads in common between those two works yeah for sure mostly white devilry um (laughs) (laughs) it's like like derek bort went you want to make a new york movie about white devilry Let's go. Hold, yeah. hold my beer. <laughs> hold my now, hold beer. on. Here's the pitch, and we should all get to writing this screenplay as, as soon as we end this episode. But crossover episode, like Marvel Cinematic Universe style, Joker, Jim Gaffigan, and uh, you know Robert Pattinson from Good Time. They all meet up and they do like a heist together. <laughs> and it's kind of like uh, what's the one with Jesse Eisenberg bringing it full circle? Um, now you see me. There you go. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and we bring in Woody Harrelson because why not? Why not? Yeah. I just going back to the mental health thing and, and we can definitely wrap this up here soon. Um going back to the mental health thing, I, I'm I'm in the space now where I just start to feel like that's a cop out. Um that's a cop out when people like in a situation like this, in a movie like this, I don't mean in real life. I mean in a movie like this, I almost wish that they didn't even play with the idea. Um because I, I think there's just because it takes the accountability, it kind of cuts the accountability in half um, to, to, you know, whereas like he can, it's okay to just be a fucking shitty person, you know, right. and, and, and not teeter with the idea of mental health. Um, that a person who's morally bankrupt, that somehow they have to be sick in some way is very dangerous. And, you know, statistics show that people with mental health diagnosis, like severe mental health uh, issues are more likely to be victims of violence instead of the perpetrators of it. You're and, exactly right. 
as much as I enjoyed this movie, I think that that's very dangerous because it it kind of pushes us to a point of dehumanizing that. Yes. So that's a um, great point. That's that's kind of why I don't love the idea of giving people a diagnosis in a movie. Um, I can definitely see someone saying, "Okay, you're very very stressed." And so it it can influence your behavior. Sure, what you perceive to be a lot of stress, because I kind of agree with you, um, Treasy. Like we've had to figure out all kinds of shit. Like Man, you, you at least still have an income. Like you know what I mean. <laughs> real talk. Yeah. Um, real and shit. and you know, in the gig economy, like he could do many things to make money. Very um, much. He could have worked for stupid. To that point. To that point, like he's deciding to do something, you know, illegal. To try to support himself, where right. but you know when a when a black man is doing it, he's looking down on that person as though he's somehow better. I'm like, motherfucker, you participating? Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. Which I mean, which, and that's another parallel in real life, right? <laughs> exactly. That's why the title to me. I mean, you know, the, I think the closest. I think the next best title was already taken: American History X. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like you know. So this to me is the closest you could get to that. Um, to for me to making a parallel to American history. Um, at least as we know it and, um, and really putting it in a cinema format, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of metaphors here, a lot of metaphors, man. Um, to, you know, I, I, I went on record in saying this and I'm, I'm only saying this, not having the entire scope of all of the films that have come from Virginia, but as it sits right now, as a, a, a film completely made in Virginia, this is the best, this is the best product I've seen as a film entirely shot in virginia that has come out of virginia in my opinion anybody we're, have a we're still waiting on the olivia munn um what, what's oh, the name it's of that called uh, the it's called the gateway the, the gateway. gateway we're still waiting on the gateway now the gateway i gotta say i might be a little biased i did okay. deliver a startling performance as the audience as member in a church in that film <laughs> you still the scene? Still uh, the I don't scene? know. I can't wait. I'm on the edge of my seat waiting to see if I got cut out or not. But let me tell you, I was doing some face acting, boy. I'm sure <laughs> the editor must have got that footage back and was like, God this damn guy, it. This, this guy this one, in the that back one's still in post-production. Stomp. You can write to him and be like, so it would really help me out if you <laughs> were to keep my face. Yeah, mm-hmm. so like we might want to do as many episodes of the show as we can before I have to get shipped off to L.A., you know, to... Pick up that. That's true. That's true. What what church did y'all like see? Yeah, audience members can't see this, but he like puffed his hair up <laughs> at that exact moment. <laughs> what, what, that's, what church? That's, that's Chandler's. I'm feeling myself. He doesn't do he a hair like, flip, but he's like, get into this volume, though. right? Yeah, Man, volume. What, what what church? By the way, um, the gateway and uh, the Olivia Munn and who was the main character on that? Oh, it's um, uh, what's Bruce his... Dern and Bruce Dern is yeah. supporting. It's a gentleman from uh, he was on a bunch of stuff. Wiggum. Is it Shea Wiggum? Shea Wiggum. Shea Wiggum. Yeah. Yeah, and all and also isn't my guy um the um the the like the very fit dude that be doing stunts and stuff um Frank Frank uh, Frank Grillo is also in it. Yeah, Frank he who? is. Grillo. Yeah, Grillo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. My guy. He's, he's none of them were there here. Yeah, none of them were there where, when I was um, on set. <laughs> what, what church did they shoot that scene in, by the way? An abandoned church over um, in the Neon District over near WTKR where I work. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. it yeah. was. Uh, there was no AC. It was very hot. <laughs> it's an abandoned church, my friend. <laughs> yeah. And they had us in full dress clothes, believe it or not. Wow. Can I just tell y'all, like, I really loved this conversation. I think we really got into some very deep topics and- 
I just I really enjoyed talking about this with you guys. I think this was very productive. Me too. And, you know, and, and I wish we would have saw it a lot earlier when you were recommending it. I wish. Well, I wish I would have saw it a lot earlier when you were recommending it. Lizzie um, and I, I saw it like to back this. to back. Hmm. Didn't didn't you see it at the? At no, the I was trying to go, and then something came up, and I couldn't go. But I was trying to go see it at the narrow oh, yeah. when yeah. you recommended it. I wanted mm-hmm. to too. I re- I remember. Yeah, something came up for me too. But I I really wish I would have went to that and been in there for the Q and A. And again, you know, seeing a lot of people. You know, shout out to my boy Austin, man. Um, and shout out to Arkeisha and some of the other people that I know that were involved with the production. It, it, it's just good seeing. Uh, this caliber of work coming home. So I have um, a question for you, Chandler. Um, did did Bort make any interesting points during the Q and A? So Bort was at the Q and A that I was not able to attend. The one I went to had the ODU film coordinator and um, uh, Danny Forte, the writer. Um, so that's a perspective I got. And just you know, to sum that up, there was a lot of discussion about um, you know efficiency in the screenwriting. Um, you know, I, I assuming like, you know, keeping it a tight 90 sort of starting in media res and also uh, definitely the words white privilege were dropped several times, which was interesting to see mm-hmm. um, in a theater of mostly uh, like old white people, which is the narrow, the, the audience <laughs> of the narrow. Yeah. And then you got like this young guy being like, yeah, you know, I was kind of writing it about white privilege and you could tell they were like, what? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> What's that? That doesn't exist. <laughs> All old white people sound like that. Oh, Sonny. <laughs> What's that you said? <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, you know, it might get a second watch from me, man. I, I, I know I'm, I'm going to follow. I'm definitely going to go back and really revisit what Derek Board already has out there. And for sure, you know, just keep supporting him. I, I do want to see Unhinged. Um, I made a joke saying that this is probably the worst time for a movie like Unhinged to come out. But then and thinking about it, it's probably the best time, <laughs> you know, you know, a lot of the landscapes that uh, that I think people will uh, really identify with um, in, in, in today's America uh, yeah. and the wavelength that we're on. So um, thank you guys for sticking with us with this episode. Of course, you know, as always, follow us on uh, Instagram and Facebook at Kinda Movie Critics, K-I-N-D-A Movie Critics. And uh on Twitter at Kinda Movie Crits. As always, uh, we call ourselves Kinda Movie Critics because we kind of are and we're kind of not. We're just a bunch of people that like to watch movies. This has been an On Ear Network production. And actually, before I close this out, I just wanted to verbally say something that we had uh, talked about on the group chat. I, and, and I hope a lot of people out there are with me on this one, that I did not know that Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen were different people because of how they were billed <laughs> on Full House. Until I was like 17 years old. No, I didn't know it either. I thought the same thing that he thought until I saw them when they made like It Takes Two or whatever. Then I realized it was two of them. Well, I'm younger than you guys. So I grew up in the era of like the direct to video Olsen Twins films. Right. They were whole. But also, Lizzie dropped insane knowledge in the group chat by saying that they are, in fact, fraternal twins and not identical. Yeah. I didn't know that. I thought they were identical. That's yeah, amazing. That blew my entire shit up, like my whole brain. Your whole shit. I'm with you though because me and Treasy have some friends that are. They say they're fraternal twins, but they look identical. <laughs> identical. Yeah. And we don't believe them to this day. <laughs> yeah. Like we're like, no, yo, like you're because when you look at them with your bare human eyes, they're completely identical. Yeah. I don't, so I don't know what determines yeah. the difference, but well, fraternal yeah. is when it's it's. 
two eggs, two sperm, identical uh-huh. is one egg, one sperm that splits. Uh-huh. So I, when you're identical, your DNA is exactly the same. Yes. When you're fraternal, it's just like your DNA being the different from your full brother or sister. Now, what kind yeah. of twins were Schwarzenegger and DeVito? What were they? <laughs> <laughs> Antonymical. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good, one, good one to end it on, Chandler, man. <laughs>